Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Uh, my name is Dennis, if I haven't met you yet. Um, as Richard said, I'm curate here in the parish. A um, couple of things today. Three things I'm going to focus on. One is uh, death, one is forgiveness, and the third is the gift of eternal life. Death, forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life. Start us off by telling you a bit of a sad story. If you don't mind, a bit of a sad story. It's to do with my grandma. Now, I, I love my grandma dearly. My, she used to travel all the way from northern Uganda to middle of Kenya, which is a huge distance, uh, to bring bananas, peanut butter, and all the kind of things that she used to grow on her farm, pineapples. She introduced me to pineapples. I love pineapples. Whenever I get the flu, uh, my mom always goes to, remember what granny said? And I'd eat loads of pineapples, and it would just, just get better. So I remember her like that. About a decade ago, about 10 years or so, 10, 11, she passed away. I was probably about 19, 20 at the time. It's a bit of a blur. Um, I didn't know what grief was then. I didn't even know it was a thing. I was too busy running around high on sugar. Um, so all the things that were happening didn't quite fit in with my experience. I couldn't figure out why. All of a sudden, all these memories of her we just keep flooding back at different points. I couldn't even connect with my own sadness. Memories like when she said to me, Dennis, if you don't learn my language by the time I come back next time, three months, I won't bring you any peanut butter. I won't bring you any honey. And I won't bring you any bananas. Now, peanut butter, honey, and bananas are like, if you offer those to me, I'll tell you all my secrets. So I learned, I learned a trolley in the space of three months so I could talk to her and receive my peanut butter. Or how she would she'd break into song uh, every time I'd walk into the room. I was named after her husband who passed away just before, um, before I was born. So when I'd walk in, she'd break into song and start singing. She was full of joy. That would just flood in. Or when she'd laugh at herself when they brought her soft food to eat because her teeth had kind of gone. So she'd, they'd bring the food, she'd look at it, and then she'd just burst into laughter about the whole idea of having to eat soft food. At 21, I didn't know how to say that I missed her. I didn't. To be honest, I didn't even want to talk about it. No one had to pay me to bottle it up. Why? Because bad news and Painful news and painful events, we all know this, they're hard to share. They're incredibly hard to share. But again, as you can see, I'm laughing. The Easter story isn't about bad news. It's painful at points, but it doesn't stop at the painful bit. I will return to the story of my grandma in a bit. I read an article uh, in the BBC at the beginning of the week uh, Holy Week, and I think I said it to you, Richard, didn't I? And Richard, Richard texted me back. He said, "Already, already." I was like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> don't tell the vicar news. It's always old news to him." Um, it said, um, "17% of the general public believe that the Bible's account of Jesus' coming back to life from the dead is true." 17%. That leaves who can do the maths? There you are. 83% who don't believe. 69% of those who described themselves as Christians did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 69%. Uh, 
43% of those who go to church regularly, that's more than once a month, did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I think the most interesting one, however, was the 9% of those who described themselves as non-religious, not with any affiliation to any faith, 9% who actually believed that Jesus rose from the dead. I think that was exciting. I had a little bit of a chuckle with that. Where, where do you land in this spectrum? I wonder, wherever you are, like, maybe you come regularly. Where do you land with this? The, does, is this a real thing? Is this a real story for you? Is it just like something from the storybooks? Are you red? I just don't believe this stuff. Amber, I kind of believe parts of it, but some parts of it I'm a bit dubious about. Or green, I totally believe this stuff, like 100%. If someone asked me in the street whether I believed it, I'd say, yes, I believe it. Jesus rose from the dead. Where do you fit? I'd like to suggest today that actually having a firm answer on this is vitally important. It's vitally important. Um, the, Richard laughed at me this morning because I walked in in a white robe. Um, I, I'm going to be wearing that for the service at 10.30 where I'm going to be talking to the children about uh, an angel who rolls a stone away and then sits on it. <laughs> and I had to make a choice this morning about whether I was going to wear that and walk down the street with it, which I just wanted to do. It was good fun. I was blessing all the dog walkers and all that kind of stuff. It was a simple decision. I put the robe on and I walked and I came. Deciding whether you are red, amber, or green and working out to make sure you're sure, that is a life-changing decision because it makes all the difference if this is just a story or if this is true. Because if it's just a story... We are no better than the worms. We're at the mercy of the birds. We will all die and enter into the emptiness that is nothing. But even worse, while we're here, we live in the uncertainty of the, that. If it's, if it's just a story, then a loved one dying is the ultimate tragedy. It's the ultimate tragedy. Because there's no real justice with it. There's no comfort for, for my mother who lost her mother. There's no comfort for me who lost my grandma. You know what this feels like, I think. But what if, what if it isn't just a story? What if, what if it, it's true that this man, this very well historically documented man, did indeed live, did indeed die, did indeed rise from the dead? What if it's true? The story is rich with so much. Even the story of his resurrection has so many little entry points. Too much for us to sort of unpack totally now. But to help us think through it, uh, let's have one more look at uh, the reading we had today. So, death, forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life. First thing is, to sort of really get the gravity of this, we need to picture a bit, understand, we need to understand a bit more of why Jesus died. When Richard spoke about uh, sin, God's life is holy because God is holy. He doesn't do wrong. What we have as our life is a gift from God. It's God's own life, so it is holy. To stay alive 
is to stay holy. So when we do something or say something or think something that is wrong, we turn away from holiness and forfeit our lives. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now in the Old Testament, in the old days, the way that you would get forgiveness for your sin is that you would search your flock and get the perfect spotless lamb. It had to be spotless. And you would tie it and you would march with it all the way to the temple. There was only one temple for the whole country. So if you lived in Scotland, you'd have to come to St. Paul's Cathedral for this to happen. When you got to the temple, you'd meet a priest. Uh, a priest. <laughs> and uh, the priest would, would receive the, the lamb. But before he took the lamb with him, you'd have to place your hands on the lamb, which is a symbolic transfer of all your wrongdoing to the lamb. And he would take the lamb with him, and he would slaughter the lamb. And then he'd sprinkle the blood in the Holy of Holies. The wages of sin is death. So a life had to be forfeit to make due for what you did wrong. But you'd have to do that every year. You have to do that every year. So when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, God has been aware that a lamb doesn't save you forever. It only covers you for that short period of time between the, the times between you have to come for the sacrifice, just once a year or something like that. So he sends his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, who comes righteous because he is God himself, holy, spotless, spotless. Goes all the way to the temple, actually. And when people touch him, they're healed. And then on the cross, he gives his life. So by Friday evening, he's hung and he's died. He's been tortured, he's been beaten, he's been mocked, he's been subjected to abuse, he's been tired out by carrying this huge log up a mountain, he's been nailed to that log, and he's given up his life. Then they carry him, stick him in a cave, literally carved out of the hillside rock. And those who said, this guy is crazy, let's kill him. He said some crazy stuff about coming back to life. So let's uh, post a guard. So big stones rolled over. Boom, places itself there. They go, send your best. Now the Romans had conquered half the world. So they weren't pushovers, these guys. And if you fell asleep on duty, you would lose your life. You were executed. If you deserted, you were executed. So these these war tone guys because they're in Judea, they're not in Rome a couple of them are sent they probably put a rope with a bit of wax to make sure that no one tampers with it, put the Roman seal in the wax to make sure actually if anybody tampers we will see and then they watch and I can imagine they're not in any way afraid of the fishermen who Jesus follows they wouldn't be scared of them, they faced barbarians Day one, Friday night, chilling, nothing happens, it's okay. Day two goes, Saturday goes, come to Saturday night, chilling, nothing's happening. Then just as it gets close to morning, just as it gets close to morning, suddenly a 
apparently. An angel appears. And he's bright, dressed in white. He's, he's just something they've never seen. And he comes and this rock that it took loads of people to move, he just kind of moves it. And then he jumps and sits on it. The soldiers are obviously terrified. They're terrified. In, in Mark's account, which is one of the, I think it's the oldest one, isn't it, of the, you'd know this, wouldn't you? I'll ask you later. In Mark's account, the women come after this event has taken place. And what they find is, no one's there. The stone's rolled. No one's there. The stone's rolled. But in this one, the one we read today, the women witness this also. They see the angel move the stone. They hear him talk about Jesus has risen. And and, and they, they see Jesus send the women to the disciples. Now, if you, were, if you were the Roman soldier, what would you do? Where would you go? Would you go to your boss who ordered you to kill this guy and ordered you to watch the tomb to make sure nothing happened? Would you go? They, wouldn't be, they didn't believe Jesus when he said he was God, and they killed him. What do you think they'll do to you? Where would you go? They went to the only place they knew they could go, which was the chief priests. And it says they were given money to tell a lie. Now, remember, bad news is hard to share. Painful news is hard to share. If you had never seen something like an angel appear, an angel in the flesh, and you saw one, how much money would you take to be quiet about it? You'd need a lot of money, wouldn't you? Loads. Do you think that a Jewish priest who is subject to your country would have that kind of cash lying around? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think part of the reason we have this story, part of the reason we have this part of the story, is because these soldiers could not, could not keep quiet about this. Try as hard as they would. It would be a campfire story. Do you remember that time when? Story. And it would have filtered out. This is, this is the beautiful part for me. Jesus appears to everybody. It appears to more than 500 people. He actually, as we sort of touched on in our confession there, he appears in a room that's locked from the inside. Now, if he can appear in a room that's locked from the inside, does he need the stone to be rolled away? He doesn't. So why is the stone rolled away? The stone is rolled away so that people can go in and see that Jesus isn't there. They haven't found his body. The stone is rolled away because of you and me. It's rolled away for us. We know this story particularly because it is for us. We're supposed to, if we're still flickering between red and green, walk into this tomb. Because the stone's gone. Everybody else sees him in the flesh. But this is for us. But this is for us. And this is the bit that I, I, this week, I think, during the Holy Week, it, it really got me emotional, actually. If you brought your lamb and you saw, the, you saw the priest slaughter it and it lost its life, that's a harrowing event. I don't know if any of you have ever seen an animal lose its life. It's a harrowing event, you know. And so you left aware of the cost of your wrongdoing. 
and then you went home. And as you entered your, where you lived, and then in the back, in the corner, you just had a look, and you saw, and it was the lamb. And it was the lamb. How would you feel on the inside? How would you feel on the inside? This is why Easter, Easter is great news. It's absolutely great news because it means that death isn't meaningless. Jesus can change, exchange our, our mortal lives, the ones that we lose, for an eternal one. He resurrects because his life is the source. It's overflowing. And that's what he gives to us. And that's what it gives to us. I hadn't had a chance to grieve. I went to college. I did other things. I was at uni. And uh, I, I left the nightclub on my way home. Argued with all these Christian people with shiny faces about whether God lived or didn't. And they left me by saying, Jesus loves you. I went to my room. And that's just ringing in my head. And in my room, I had an encounter with God. The rubber hit the road. It wasn't just in here. It became something I couldn't deny. I was anchored in a hope, a thing that was unshakable. God embraced me, and I wept, I wept, I wept, and I grieved for so many things, for my low self-esteem, for the way I worried about what people would think about me. I grieved for all those things, for the decision I'd made to go study engineering instead of doing English, which is what I wanted to do. I grieved for all those things, and he just recalibrated my life. He changed it. And as I grieved, I remembered my grandma and the songs she would sing with tears of joy in her heart about Jesus, the prayers she would pray, the things she'd say to me like, look, I'm going to die one day, Dennis. Death is just a, it's, it's a flight. I'll take it. It's going to take me to my Lord Jesus. And this sickness... All this stuff that I'm going through, they're just little stamps on my passport. Didn't make sense at the time, but made full sense once I'd met the, reason, the risen Lord. She prayed for me when I was young, and I remember her prayers. And my grief isn't empty. It's anchored in a hope that after the hype of getting to heaven and going to see Mars with Jesus I'll go and talk to my grandma now um, the decision is a big one whether you go from red to green don't rush take your time this is one of those books that might be helpful it's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel it's a short abridged edition there's a, there's a thicker book which if you really want to chew through um, you can take your time reading that. Here we run an Alpha course, which will be starting on the 3rd of May. I'll be hosting that. Come, let's have dinner. Let's talk about this stuff and see if really it is stupid to be green, as the world says.